For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe at your free throws because they are free. Fisher Disciples, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider. For those listening on the mic, your 1090 ESPN radio. Hello. We have one of the best NFL historians, NFL writer joining the show today, Russell Baxter. Russell, how are you, my friend? I'm great. It's uh, obviously an exciting day for three people and maybe a little disappointing for uh, nine people and their families and so on, as we found out who... Uh, the three senior nominees are mm. uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2024. As you know, they've expanded the senior uh, membership uh, starting last year where we had three seniors go in. It used to be one per year. Now it's three. There's such a backlog with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. People, I it's think, sometimes tough. don't realize. Well, Pro Football began before 1900, technically. They're, the Cardinals, I believe, were in business in 1898. The NFL, I wasn't around, okay? Um, the <laughs> I was going to say, you look good. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, you know, palm olive dishwashing liquid and different things like that. So um, <laughs> 1920, what we know is the NFL. It had a different name then. But the Pro Football Hall of Fame's first class was 1963. So they had already, it was a 43-year backlog just with the NFL itself. And I know they have tried a lot harder in recent years to, eliminate that backlog um and there's always going to be people disappointed so uh, now we go with steve mcmichael and randy gratishar um and art powell i think art powell was maybe the was the big surprise on here but certainly worthy and uh exciting time i don't know if any of you guys have been to canton uh for the pro football hall of fame uh enshrinement uh, my first year was 1989 going um i saw i saw that josh i saw those eyebrows go up um just so you know 1989, they still held the ceremony on the steps. Um, it was 11 o'clock in the morning. So there's probably a couple hundred people in chairs and sitting on the wall who attended it. The Pro Football Hall of Fame game was in the small stadium next door at 2.30 in the afternoon. It was on ABC's Wild World of Sports. The first year I went, it was the Bills and the, and the Redskins um, in 1989 who would play in the Super Bowl a couple of years after that. My first class, pretty good one. Willie Wood, uh, former Packers safety, Art Shell, and two members of the Steelers, Mel Blunt and Terry Bradshaw. So I got to see Terry Bradshaw's famous speech of wanting uh, to put his hands under Mike Webster's butt just one more time. <laughs> and of course, he did that in the later years when Webster went in and so on. But then they moved the ceremony to the stadium the year that Jim Kelly was inducted because Jim promised and delivered that he would bring about 3,000 people with him. And they had no room to put 3,000 people, so they moved the ceremony to the stadium, and it was wow. such a big hit. They've been doing it there ever since. 
Wow. I, have you have you ever taught a class on football, like a university class? No. <laughs> Is that a, no. no, seriously. I, I, no. I mean, it's a wild question, but like you totally – like we watch football a lot. We watch. We want to get into modern football questions for you because we know obviously you follow the game so closely. Right. Um, but there are people, even even us, like we know the history of the game, but there's still so much to be uncovered. And like you said, it goes. The Cardinals were in business pre 1900. I mean, they're kind of out mm-hmm. of business right now. Worst team in the league, <laughs> but, they, but they were in business pre 1900. So there's right. just so much history. So yeah, in all seriousness, have you ever thought about teaching a collegiate course? Well, that's that's very flattering, and to be honest with you, it would be, probably be something fun to do. When I was at ESPN for a couple of years, I did like a research seminar uh, for the younger researchers, you know, and stats, in, stats and info were just kind of coming into its own and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm an old school guy as far as how I retained all this information, um, and it's basically from just watching uh, you know, I did not go to college for journalism. I, I just watched a lot of football and somehow put it to good use. Got a few breaks along the way. Um, uh, a man uh, in 1987 took a chance on me at a paper in New York called College and Pro Football News Weekly. The man's name was Howie Schwab. And for people who are, yeah, I can see you can, that's Stump the Schwab. Stump the Schwab. That yeah. used to be the Stump the Schwab from, from and Howie's a good friend and so on. Uh, he's not at the worldwide leader anymore either. One thing led to another. A uh, couple of years after that, uh, someone recommended me to ESPN as they were just getting started with the NFL. They signed the NFL contract in 1987. I started freelancing for them in 1989. I, I spent three years doing college and pro football news weekly and writing the previews. And then on Saturday night, I would make a two hour drive to Bristol, Connecticut and do the studio stuff with uh, primetime with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. Um, did 17 years of primetime in the studio. It is unbelievable memories. Actually, I was in touch with Tommy today, uh, letting him know about Randy Gratishar, who was one of his teammates. I got a chance to meet Randy a couple of times at some Super Bowls and saw him ecstatic for him. Um, it's just been, I, I have referred to myself as the Forrest Gump of the industry. And I say that in a joking way because every time I turn around, there's, you know, there's John Kennedy or Richard Nixon and 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 a Dr. Pepper and just, uh, you know, just following a love and following a passion. And it just all kind of worked out and so on. And I still don't know how, but I've been doing this for more than 40 years now. So be it writing, television and goodness knows now Twitter where um <laughs> Dominate. You know, I, I, I speak what's on my mind with, and try to maintain a level of respect at the same time. I mean, football is running like Force Gump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to ask you, though, to get into – I mean, that is really remarkable. And we're going to get into some of your favorite memories at, at the end of the show because we always ask people that. I'm sure you're going to have a few Then just – Please feel free to free, to free flow them. Um, but some big news, though, in the NFL came out this week uh, and, and in the past couple of days. Trey Lance – not only is not going to be the backup in San Francisco, mm-hmm. he's going to be the third string quarterback there. And then Jonathan Taylor, he wasn't going to be traded. He was going to be traded. He was going to stay. He was going to be a cult for life. They've now given him permission to seek a trade. So on the Lance front, where can he go? Is he a bust? Can he be salvaged? And on the Jonathan Taylor front, what do you think they can get now? Like based off what you've seen in the past, what can you get for Jonathan Taylor for the Indianapolis, if you're the Indianapolis Colts? 
Well, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's still a very young player. He's a guy who led the league in rushing a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, there's obviously some fresh legs there. He had a he had a pretty solid rookie year um, as well, and then really burst in, onto the scene in uh, in 2021 last year. You know, the but just a bad football team, the Colts. You know, Matt Ryan, the Matt Ryan experiment didn't work. Um, their defense fell apart. Uh, a lot of different issues there. Um, it's going to be what the Colts are willing to settle for. I think, um, I don't think they're in, but the running back market, the way it is. And the fact that we just saw Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin cook kind of picked up, um, on the cheap. Now there's a different situation though. Ezekiel Elliott has seven years under his belt. Dalvin cook, I believe has six years under his belt. Jonathan Taylor, again, still has those, uh, kind of fresh legs. Um, I don't know if the Colts would wind up getting what, for what he is truly worth, but they are obviously getting ready to undergo a real big change. Now, defensively, they still have some good players, uh, but it's Anthony Richardson apparently is going to be the starting quarterback, uh, which I mean, I think that's eight years in a row that Chris Ballard has had a different starting quarterback wow. in week one. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, you know, some people say he hasn't been able to replace Andrew Luck. They haven't been able to replace Peyton Manning, if you really want to be honest with about it. So because obviously Luck, after those first three years, was in and out of the lineup. He missed, he missed time. He was comeback player of the year. And then all of a sudden he was gone as well. So uh, it's been a really erratic situation for him. I think just about any team could use a Jonathan Taylor. But what are you willing to give up for him in terms of what now will be future picks? Obviously, 2024, maybe even 2000. 25 but you know listen we saw christian mccaffrey de dealt last year okay mm -hmm. i mean he's as versatile a back as they're in this is in their this league one of only three guys to get a thousand 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 rushing and thousand receiving yeah. in the same season so what what does that tell you about the role of the running back and that's the funny thing guys the role of the running back has changed the role of the running game has not changed the running game is still very, very important. And all you have to do is go all the way back to Super Bowl 57. How did the Chiefs really beat the Eagles in the second half? They ran the football. A team that had 70 sacks during the regular season had none in the Super Bowl. Because as the adage goes, it's hard to sack the quarterback when the running back has the football. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, it's very think true. About, like 70 sacks during the regular season. I think they had eight or nine more in the playoffs and Zippo and Zippo because the Chiefs did to the Eagles what the Eagles did to a lot of teams all year, run the ball down their throat in the second half. And Philly, who was very mediocre against the run, mm -hmm. uh, I think we were tied for 18th in the league. So I know Patrick Mahomes got MVP. Patrick Mahomes threw for less than 200 yards in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He got MVP because of his accuracy in that Super Bowl, but who really dominated the second half at that yeah. day was the Chiefs offensive line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon had great games and even Mahomes ran the football exceptionally well. Right. And, and yeah, well, he had maybe the key run of the game. Okay. And the fact that, you know, like I said, Philadelphia, when you were a pass rushing team and you have that many guys with all those sacks and so on, um, it is very easy 
to get caught up in that and think it's a, necessarily a great defense. My friend Tom Jackson, who I've already mentioned, used to always say to me, you're not really a great defense until you can stop the run. And Philly, again, was very mediocre against the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they they, well, they that line. Yeah, they 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 added to the line. They have Jordan Davis coming in. They have Jalen Carter coming in now too. Yeah, I mean, and they love, and and hopefully Carter helps them up the middle with the run and so on. Absolutely. Okay? I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I've seen many defenses over the years, you know, on their way to the quarterback and the running back running right by them and so on, and great players who were you know, sometimes preoccupied with getting the quarterback and over pursuing and opening up the running lane and so on. So that's why it's so important because once a team starts to run on you, this will never change. Once a team starts to run on you, they can do anything they want. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best example of that was at least in a Super Bowl was, was the Broncos and the Packers it was, was Terrell Davis and they ran the football and late in the second half, then you see, Ed McCaffrey opened for 32 yards downfield because now they're crowding the line. They can't stop the run. Mm-hmm. And um, that will never change as much as we want to open up the passing game and all these receivers and, you know, 5,000 yards here and 4,000 yards here. There's a reason. And it finally happened this year. Patrick Mahomes became the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era. Now the Super Bowl era is 57 years to lead the league in passing yards and win the Super Bowl the same year. It's unbelievable. <laughs> think about. I mean, think about. You, you've heard the MVP. And he threw for under two hundred yards, though. Yeah, in the I'm, game. No, I'm talking about during the season. Yeah, he yeah, led, yeah. He led the league in passing yards, and he was the first quarterback to do that during the season and win the Super Bowl the same season. He was the first league MVP to win the Super Bowl since Kurt Warner. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Because this is Hard still a team game. This is all about being a team game. As much as we want to make it out. Patrick Mahomes beating Joe Burrow is like Muhammad Ali beating Joe Frazier um, or, you know, or John McEnroe beating Jimmy Connors. It doesn't, you guys know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. No, I mean, when Brady and the Bucks won the Super Bowl and Brady got the MVP on our show, we were like the defensive line of the Buccaneers should have gotten the collective Super Bowl MVP. I mean, Todd Listen, Bowles could have won the MVP. I, I, you could go, go a couple. I would say in the Patriots first Super Bowl, if Adam Vinatieri kicks one more field goal, he might have been MVP. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you go back to the, when the Giants beat the Bills, you can't give it to an offensive line, so they gave it to Otis Anderson. But the offensive line dominated the Bills mm-hmm. in the second half. Time of remember the, the Bill, Giants had the ball for over forty minutes. That's in, nuts. in Super Bowl, and and, 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 and the story as the story goes, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, talked about you know, Bill Parcells. They, they, we had, it, they were almost like wanted Thurman Thomas to run wild, okay? And Thurman Thomas, you could have made a case for being the MVP. But all I know is the, the Giants had the ball for 40-plus minutes and scored 20 points. The Bills had the ball for 19 minutes and scored 19 points. So go ahead. And we, we've seen that throughout history. We saw that with the Giants and the Patriots. Totally. Okay? These high-scoring teams don't usually – I want to say it's the – the, the the highest, the 12 or 13 highest, I haven't updated it lately, the 12 or 13 highest scoring teams in the NFL history in points of the season. I'm talking about total combined, like the Broncos with in, in, in uh, 2013. None of them won the Super Bowl. Not one. Few got there, few didn't even get there. 
So I know I, this is an offensive league, but no, I don't think um, it is. Well, I don't I know. Think, I, you know I, what's offensive? People who think it's an offensive league. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just looked real quick. I did some quick research from 09 because I wanted to see where Breeze was in the passing leaders right. when they won the Super Bowl. He was sixth that year. Right. Only the last three years. So Mahomes, you just said right. he was number one in passing yards. Last year, Stafford was third, and the year before, the Bucks won, and Brady was third. Right. Those are the three highest since that 2009 season when the Saints won. Every other QB was fourth or lower on the passing yards. So it's it's right to your point. Like right. that is not the end all be all. And you know, we I saw Goff at the top of that list. Right. A couple I saw, of years ago, Jameis yeah. Winston led the league in passing yards. They were a losing team. He uh, threw a Deshaun few interceptions. Deshaun yeah. Watson. <laughs> Deshaun Watson led the league in passing yards a couple of years ago. They didn't make the playoffs. So you get you can get a lot of passing yards for a lot of different reasons. Okay. It's still about balance. I, I yeah. kid it for years. The greatest offensive coordinator in NFL history was Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid because he always stressed balance <laughs> to Daniel LaRusso. And that's why he tipped him over in the lake. So, <laughs> I mean, like you go to the, I brought up the Niners before. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I brought up, but I did, but then their quarterbacks, Brock Purdy, like, right. it, and he doesn't turn the ball over. He gets the ball to his playmakers. They do a good job of not only getting into Christian McCaffrey, but when Elijah Mitchell came back, getting him the ball too and running the football. And the importance of George Kittle, like mm -hmm. people always talk about Rob Gronkowski and how good his connection was with Brady. The beauty of Rob Gronkowski was like having a sixth offensive lineman out. Oh, there. goodness, yes. Oh, goodness, yes. And that's why, listen, I, I think what Travis Kelsey is doing is absolutely amazing. Okay. You know, he's on that list. He'll be in, he'll probably be in Canton one day and so on. But he is not, the. he's probably a, he's not the blocker. He's more Tony Gonzalez than he is Rob Gronkowski. Okay. And that's not a knock because tight ends serve different roles in different offenses. Okay. But Rob Gronkowski was, Rob Gronkowski was voted one of the hundred greatest players. Okay. We just saw that a couple, you know, I think every other tight end on that list was retired when that list came out and he was on that list. So that should tell you something about watching him plow over people down the field. I mean, the only time I ever saw him really screw up was that Miami lateral play where he got, you know, he basically got thrown into the game and pulled out of position and so on. Sure. But you could argue that's not his fault. He shouldn't. No, have been. Yeah. I, I, I don't even have to argue yeah. it. I don't think yeah. I don't know what he was doing yeah. back there. To be honest right. with you, but um, think about this. And I do this sometimes. Think about somebody like Robin Gronkowski or some of these other guys. Think about the time you ever saw them drop a pass. Can you really remember? I can only the only pass I remember him not catching is right. the second Super Bowl versus the Giants. Where Brady heaves it downfield and it's oh, just wait, out of his, wait. it's just out of his reach. But like right. you're talking, they did a sports science on it because he was hurt. Like the guy is hurt, and like if he right. was healthy, they would calculate it. He actually probably would have had a chance at catching it. Right. I mean, the guy was plowing people over. He was immaculate. I I know he gets a little bit of flack for that Miami thing, but like it's not. It, it's like but that's second. yeah. Listen, that's the worst thing he did. He'll be laughing about that in Canton, Ohio, one day. I can tell you that. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. He, he's pretty remarkable. He, on the Patriots subject too, though, I mean, we talk about Bill as being the best, you know, head coach, but as a coordinator, he's phenomenal. It's not one of the, it's not one of the best of all time in that regard as well. Do you think it's he's a little? A, he's a student of the game. 
Yeah. He's been at this a long time. If, if, if memory serves, he's been coaching in the league since the mid seventies, one way or the other. Okay. Um, I, I want to think, I want to say he was uh, maybe out in Denver or something like that. I, I, I honestly, I don't have it in front of me and so on, but he's been at this for an awfully long time. There hasn't been anything he hasn't seen, even with all the, the thing about the NFL, you know, it, it, there's nothing really innovative that goes on with the NFL. Okay. And that's, I'm not knocking the NFL, but in a hundred something years, a lot of this stuff is recycled. Okay. Um, there are different variations spreading the field. There's some influence of the college game. Don't get me wrong. And so on. But, the, uh, you know, one day in this past happy league, maybe it's this year, someone's going to come out here. And I don't mean with a quarterback, I'm talking about with a running game. And there's two different things. Okay. Somebody's going to come out here and just want to plow people over and keep that other offense off the field. And it's going to work. It is going to work. Well, I because think that's what the, the are banking is, on. The other team is going to be ready for the physicality of that. And I yeah. think there's a couple of teams like New England that might try that this year, like Pittsburgh, mm. who I think might try that this year. Um, you're just looking all the names that they got on defense this year, you know, some of the veterans, they, they were very un-Pittsburgh-like during free agency. Um, there are still going to be teams that are going to be try to, you know, win every game 38-35 or 41-40 and so on. But eventually that's that's going to catch up. I mean, this year was was odd. I mean, the Eagles scored 30 fights, the most uh, teams ever scored in the Super Bowl and lost. That's crazy. Yeah. They, yeah. But they can't beat the the Chiefs at that game, right? It's all about. I mean, that's where like the matchups come into right. Play. Well, exactly. And um, as good as Jalen Hurts was, you also can't get sacked, drop the ball, um, and have somebody run it in for a touchdown, which to me changed the entire complexion of that game. Um, they're moving down the field. They're already up fourteen seven. Um, Kansas City has shown no resistance to stopping them. Um, goodness knows what happens if they. Make it even 17-7. That changed. Uh, and if I, if memory serves, I think that was the Eagles' only turnover of the postseason. Yeah, I mean, but you go down the line, though, in every Super Bowl, or not every Super Bowl, but a lot of Super Bowls. I just saw Pete Carroll on Richard Sherman's podcast right. talking about the interception. He's like, look, <laughs> like we had to throw it at one point in the four downs, and he like knew right then and there that he was going to catch the flack for it. But you go to like the Tyree catch, the Manningham catch, and the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They, there was one point where they should have ran at the Falcons, but Ryan dropped back and Donta Hightower sacked him. You know, and the Edelman Oh, and catch. fumble. Devontae uh, – uh, Devontae, I'm trying to remember who missed, uh, missed the block. Went really? running. Dante Hightower went right around him, missed the block. Ryan sacked, fumble, turnover, change of momentum. Change of momentum. Yeah. 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 I mean, it happens all the time. Um, I do want to say, I yeah. like, you didn't have to throw it. You didn't have to throw it. He, but can Pete we just Carroll, like, sometimes it's okay to just like take some accountability and just say, I should have ran the ball with Marshawn Lynch for it. No, he like, was I, taking accountability. I think he was saying that based on the play clock and the amount of timeouts they had left, there was going to be one point in those four downs where he had to throw the football and they ran it on first down and they tried to catch him sleeping on second, but the Patriots had run that play in practice and with Malcolm Butler in practice, there's footage of them running it in practice. There's, got- there's, it's funny. It's one of those plays where there's credit and blame at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, like credit to Belichick and the, right. and the team for scheming the play and knowing what was knowing that pick was coming. Right. Uh, but I'll tell then, you, it, 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 to this day, it, it, ten years later, it it still is almost well nine years later. It's still it's like you know, and especially if you remember how much Marshawn Lynch got on that first down run. Okay, mm. so it was it was kind of a peculiar a peculiar call. Um, considering what they've done and considering how, let's be honest, how lucky they were to be down there on that yeah. unbelievable, crazy, oh my um, God. yeah, catch, catch. you know, Ridiculous. not that the Patriots hadn't seen crazy catches in that building before. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, it was a great game. It was a great comeback. Um, one of the better Super Bowls, I would say, in the last, well, one of the better Super Bowls ever, to be honest with you. A lot of back and forth. Um, it just shows you how tough it is to repeat too. We've had a couple teams in the last couple of years had the opportunity to repeat. Um, the Patriots did, and then they lost to the Eagles, the, the Seahawks, obviously. Jeez. The Chiefs got smoked by Tampa and so on. I mean, it's, it's going on 20 years since the Patriots won back-to-back, 2003 and 2004. It's too many good teams. Like you go – we you bring we talk about the Patriots going to try to run the – Run, run it down people's throats, play some smash mouth football. Like, are they probably going to come in last place in their division? Sure. Would I be surprised that they won the division? Honestly, with Bill, no. No, like, he's such a good defensive mind. Like, it's so it's so possible. There's well, so I good it's, it's something I've been pondering that I might write within the next week because we now have this opportunity we didn't have um, before. Now that we have fourteen playoff teams, are we going to see an entire division make the playoffs? Could happen for sure. You can do it now. I don't know. Not in the AFC. Like they, there's the Chargers are too good. The the AFC North is too good. Well, the AFC North is very intriguing because, um, and Pittsburgh finished strong. Obviously, Cincinnati finished strong. Baltimore's got a lot of new faces in the new offense and so on. But Cleveland intrigues me because of Jim Schwartz. And that defensive front that they have, mm. you know, what Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith on the outside, crazy um, Tomlinson and now Shelby Harris, who's a very underrated run defender on the inside. Schwartz, remember, he was the defensive coordinator for the Eagles when they beat the Patriots. He's a big believer in having a defensive line and a deep defensive line where you can keep people fresh. I'll be, it, it, they're an intriguing team. I don't know where we're going to get from Deshaun Watson. I know we'll get something pretty good from Nick Chubb and so on, but the Browns are pretty good in the trenches, and that's still there's a lot to be said for that in this league because that will that's another thing that will never change. If you were good on the lines, that will make up for a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, absolutely both sides of the line too. Their offensive yes. line is ridiculous. Yes, 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 it is. Stacks. In a year where Joe Thomas just went in the Hall of Fame, so <laughs> he looks good too. He, he looks it look, looking good <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. And the, on the on the Browns front, I was actually explaining this to someone the other day. We didn't see Deshaun Watson that we thought we'd see or we're used Mm-mm. to seeing last year. But from a suspension, once the season starts, like he's not allowed to have contact with the team, no adjustments, no playbook. So all the adjustments the Browns are making and all the different play, it's not like they get to camp and they run the same playbook and the same, like everything throughout the entire season. They're constantly changing, especially with a mind like Stefanski. They're constantly moving things around. So Deshaun Watson gets in like, what, what was it, week 11? He's playing insane catch up. 
Well, he's also playing catch up with the fact that he basically didn't play football for almost two years. That too. Okay. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know about, I mean, I could never stop talking for two years and I, it's not a fair comparison. Um, <laughs> but if you're, you know, you think about, you know, Michael Vick being away for a couple of years and other players who have, re, you know, for different reasons, I'm not comparing Michael Vick to Deshaun Watson situation. I'm just saying the rust. Okay. Of not playing. Um, it's like, an ACL, ACL injury, okay? A player will tell you, and players who I've worked with will tell you, just because you're back on the field the following year, it's probably still another year before you feel like you can trust that knee and everything's fine and so on. So imagine not playing football for almost two years, okay? And again, I'm not comparing Michael Vick to what he did, but he was away from the field for an awfully long time. Deshaun Watson was away from the field for an awfully long time. You just, it's not like getting on a bicycle and starting all over again. It's a totally different thing when you're used to being active and working out every day. And then all of a sudden you're thrown in there. And so, and so I'll, again, I'll be curious about the Deshaun Watson this year, who, you know, who was a pro bowl quarterback with the Texans in, in the brief time he was there. Yeah. And he also, I think the one indicator to me is he ran the football pretty well last mm-hmm. year. He was on, he would have been on pace to finish just he's a, the same he was a as very smooth, confident player. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the last time the Texans were in the playoffs, he was the quarterback two years in a row and so on them. And they, you know, they, they, they beat the bills in 2019 in overtime. And then remember they were up on the chiefs. Was it 24, nothing at Kansas city? That was ridiculous. That was and, that, like, and that wasn't all Deshaun Watson. It was special teams goofs. It was there was a lot of different things. And then, then they wanted they wound up giving up 51 points. And some would say they haven't recovered from that since. I mean, I think, I think a, I a fair say their record. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say their record over the last three years is something like eleven thirty-eight and one or something like that. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean said something horrendous. But Seemed like a lot of people wanted to play for D'Amico Ryan's this year. So I'll be really curious. You know, their free agency wise, you saw a lot of guys who wanted to come play for him. And he did a hell of a job in San Francisco last year, um, taking over as the defensive coordinator. So, uh, and, and kind of groove that team to the way he wanted to groove that unit and so on. You know, that's a whole different story. They, they got, they better get Nick Boza back sooner than later. Yeah. I mean, for the Texans, at least I feel like, they've brought in young talent that I mm-hmm. personally want to watch. Right. right? Like I want to watch CJ Stroud do his thing. I want to watch Mechie return yeah. from a, a horrific situation last year, but bounce back and potentially be kind of a, a receiver that can shine in year two. I want to watch Willie. Well, Anderson. it's a division Stingley. Like I want yeah. to watch those guys play. Yeah. It's a division. Willie Anderson jr. You know, remember how aggressive they were. They made, they gave up pick next year and so on, but they needed a pass rusher. And they needed a quarterback. And, and you know, it's funny, Nick Casario, I think the first year he really, really took over for Bill O'Brien. He signed everyone, probably signed you three guys. Okay. Um, and oh, we showed up to camp. And you're Russell, looking we, at their we, free agent list and you're like, all right, I know who these people are. But, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, it reminded me of what Arizona did this year. Signed all these people and with no real impact person. That changed this year. Okay, they brought in, you know, some really, you know, proven veterans, swung some trades, um, Shaq Mason on the offensive line, um, you know, so the quality of the player that came to Houston this offseason is much different than it was a couple of years ago. And I think that that probably had more to do with Ryan's than even Casario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
a former player, a proven success. Guys are like you said, one in that city, come. by the way, by the way. So yeah, you know, exactly. Was, Hometown yeah. guy, like right. in, a, in a sense, guys like a hero for play. them. You know, one of the great players of their the brief franchise history, you know? For sure. They their franchise has been short, has had so many guys, so many names, like Watt. I know Clowney was the first pick, maybe didn't live up to the hype, but he was Andre still Johnson. Pretty, Andre Johnson, mm-hmm. thank you. Arian Foster. Arian Foster. Like, yep. there's so much talent, and there's honestly such a lack of Deshaun Watson and such a lack of success that they've endured. DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and I looked at that Chiefs game. They start, I think it was 24 nothing, like we said, and right. the ending score is 51-31 Kansas City, which is just, like, out of control by that if team. If you went out and spent your, your money on that game thinking that you were in good shape, okay, um, you know, and then came back and went, uh, yeah, there's something, that it, there's something about the city of Houston and blowing big leads in NFL playoff games. I mean, that's, dude, that's, look at Nick, that, look so. at Nick Shirt. We're all Texas Longhorns. Nick and I were at the Texas OU game when we were we were up fourteen nothing. We were high fiving like in the first couple minutes. We were up by so much at the half. There were a couple people in the stands who had like had recognized us because they had listened to our Texas show. We were on cloud nine, and it quickly in like a quarter and a half. <laughs> turned to absolute crap for us. So we're we're accustomed to it. I know it's not Houston, but it was Dallas and we're the Austin. Listen, there's probably no better example of that, of watching a team just be fall flat on its face than this, the Broncos Redskins Super Bowl, Super Bowl 22. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, that's the Doug Williams Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Denver's up, Denver's up 10 nothing. Okay. After one quarter. Now, this number will blow you away. Okay. Um, by halftime, it was 35 10. Washington scored five touchdowns. Okay. Some of them are the long distance variety Ricky Sanders, Timmy Smith, uh, Gary Clark. Uh, in the second quarter alone, Washington gained 356 yards of total offense in one quarter. 300. And, and then you go back to the old Super Bowl, 356 in one quarter. I mean, I, I mean, you could go they, down the line. Did they turn the ball over on like every time they touched it? Who Denver? Was, yeah, it actually, like, more they had some turnovers in the game. And I think they were more in the second half. But it was, you know, Doug Williams hits Ricky Sanders streaking down the right side, eighty yards. Uh, I think there was a flea flicker in there. Ricky Sanders, I think, had one hundred ninety-three yards receiving that game. Timmy Smith had over two hundred yards rushing. That was like his fifteen minutes of fame. Okay. Uh, Washington, I think, had over 600 yards of total offense and down 10 nothing. And Denver just, they weren't a great defensive. I think that's the year Elway won the MVP and he really carried the team. Okay. And yeah, yeah thank you. Well, I mean, a couple of years later, they played San Francisco and uh, I, I, I made what I call the greatest prediction I ever made in print. Um, San Francisco, that 1989 San Francisco team, in my mind, is the greatest of all the 57 Super Bowl teams. Um, Montana was unbelievable. Their defense, a lot of people don't talk about San Francisco's defense. They were magnificent. They won three playoff games by cumulative 100 points, 126 to 26. Okay. Um, But the greatest prediction I made, they had a kicker named Mike Kofer. And in the Super Bowl the year before, he missed. I think it's still the shortest field goal in Super Bowl history. So at the time I was writing for college and pro football news weekly, we were going to have to make our Super Bowl predictions. I picked 
San Francisco 41, Denver 10. And my logic on the pick was blah, 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 blah. Um, the Niners will score six touchdowns and Mike Kofer will miss a PAT. They scored eight touchdowns and Mike Kofer missed a PAT. So I, I call that the greatest prediction I've ever made in print. That is pretty solid. Yeah. So forget the forget the point totals. <laughs> he missed the PAT. I look like a genius. Too bad you could have made a prop bet for that game. Miss PAT. I don't even know if there were prop bets back then. No, no. <laughs> no I'm serious. I don't know if they. I'm sure there were. I'm sure that we didn't make enough money at the at the at the paper to to make any kind of bet. So yeah, we I, maybe I, bet you a, a, a Big Mac, and that was about it. So that would be a good history thing to look up. The first ever prop bet. That would be. I wonder like, what odds you get. You'd find it. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, very, very true. When, I, when I, do you feel when do you feel like the betting conversation became ingrained, whether it was prop bet or just general bets mm. with football fans? Like, when do you feel you experienced that kind of that, that gap? Being well, raised? when I was at College and Pro Football News Weekly, the paper stressed that. OK, but the league was not in favor of it. In other words, because of the kind of paper you know, some of the stuff that we put it in as far as point spreads and different things like that. And was also a, it was also a paper that uh, Sports Eye also did racing because we had local racing. And so we weren't that far from Belmont, um, Roosevelt Field and so on. Um, so I, I can tell you it, when I was there, it was it's kind of difficult to get credentials um, as a writer for the paper because all our ads were handicappers. Ed, the Professor Horowitz, Mike Warren. I mean, I, these are probably guys you don't know. And so, you know, here's my 800 number. Here's my whatever number. You know, I'll give you three plays for free and blah, blah, blah and stuff. That was all our advertising. Okay. You know, we, we didn't have cigarette ads. We didn't have uh, magazine, ad, you know, competitors or anything like that. Soft drinks, anything like that it was all handicapper ads. And that's not what the league was looking to endorse. Now, who knows what they would do now, but of course, print, we're happy to print, print disappeared. So it's not, um, but I, I think it's, you know, FanDuel had a lot to do with um, handicapping and, and the NFL and them getting an interest in it and fantasy football to a degree, which I guess is in some ways is a form of gambling. Okay. Um, you sure. know, and, and, and it's funny, I used to do, I used to write uh, fantasy football for the sporting news back in the early nineties before it really caught on uh, baseball um, fantasy leagues were way ahead of football fantasy leagues mm. um, for a long time and so on. And now, you know, now, you know, every commentator on the air has to tell you who, who they have on their fantasy team, you know, you know, how about, you know, no offense. How about just giving me the score? Okay. You know, not, you know, not how your fantasy team did against your best friend. So, yeah, but they have to. It is, it's good that they're adapting, though. I mean, the NFL sees that gambling has become. Oh no, no, don't get me wrong. Listen, this it. is the. We have a team in Las Vegas. We are about to have a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Yeah. Okay. Ten, fifteen years ago, that would have been unheard of. Okay, so they they've already jumped the shark in that regard. I'm kind of more referencing, like, you know, an announcer on the air or something talking about their favorite team i'm yeah i'm i'm still one of those old school you don't cheer in the press box type of guys and so on right. so i mean i you know and and because you would think if you're given commentary on a game that it would be somewhat objective yeah okay but you, you as you as you know there are some 
I, maybe they're just French because I hear the word we a lot. <laughs> true, I mean, true. you have like a bunch of cowboys across the, you have Aikman, yeah. you have Romo. I mean, those well, games no, are see, always that's the game funny part. I understand the Witten. former players. Witten, yeah. I'm talking about the hosts. Yeah, I'm with oh. you. I think it's I think it's okay if Greg Olson is saying that like he started that tight end. Like that's fun. Like that's right. but anyone else, it's like I don't I love care. Greg you Olson. started a QB. Right. Like, that's whatever. <laughs> yeah, great. Good for you. Yeah. You gotta that's consider good. the source. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I you brought up the Bills, and they're a team that's probably been on under the most pressure, we think, heading into the season. Would you agree? Like this is the biggest nut up or shut up type moment for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Well, Sean McDermott has gotten them to the playoffs five of the six years he's been there. Remember the first year it was Tyrod Taylor. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, they laid naked Jacksonville. Of course, we didn't know Jacksonville was going to get to the AFC championship game that year. Uh, then they had Josh Allen's rookie year. They took a little step back. They've been in the playoffs ever since. They've only gotten to the AFC title game uh, that one year. Uh, Kansas City has obviously been their nemesis. But they've. it's funny, they've actually managed to win a couple of regular season games in Kansas city in the last couple of years. So obviously they match up well with them. Neither one of it is this dominant defensive team. Josh Allen is still struggles with ball security. Um, that's why I think they need someone to run the football other than Josh Allen. They're depending on him as their running game. Okay. Now they went out and got Damian Harris from new England. They went out and got Latavius Murray. Um, for whatever reason, their defense fades at the end of the year. We have seen that numerous times. And it's their run defense. Um, and then they went into Cincinnati last year, pardon me. Um, Josh Allen, they beat Miami in the playoffs, but he, he wasn't super sharp. Um, and then uh, their defense looked baffled against the Bengals, uh, hosting the Bengals. A lot of short passes by Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor really outcoached Sean McDermott in that game. And, I, and that was really kind of an embarrassing home playoff loss. Um, for the Bills. And I think there's still kind of a carryover from that because when you keep on getting there year after year after year and you're not getting to at least maybe one Super Bowl and have, even if you lose the Super Bowl, you get some Super Bowl experience. Mm -hmm. But they can't, you know, they've only been to that one AFC title game since then. And, you know, the 80s, 90s Bills who went to the playoffs all those years in a row, and I know they lost four Super Bowls, but they at least got to those Super Bowls, even though I, you know, and a couple of them, I think they forgot it was Super Bowl week. No comment. Um, they, these bills, and I'm dating myself, they remind me of the late 80s, early 90s Houston Oilers, mm. okay, who got to the playoffs seven years in a row and never made one AFC title game. Yeah, it's okay, but they managed to blow a 15 point lead to Denver in the divisional playoffs one year. They managed to blow a 32 point lead in the wild card playoffs. Um, and then they 93, um, they it looked like it was their year. Okay, um, that was the year Kevin Gilbride and Buddy Ryan had that little scuffle on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, but they won like their last nine or ten games. They hosted the Chiefs at the Astrodome, had all the momentum up 10 nothing couldn't hold that lead either and that window closed real real quick you know they they struggled for a couple of years and so on they eventually moved to Tennessee became a different you know different organization and so on so it's there's less patience by owners as far as coaches there's less patience by GMs as far as coaches um and players and so on so I 
when you see teams like New England do what they do and what Kansas City is doing right now, you kind of got to marvel at it and so on because, you know, you, you look at those Bills teams that I talked about, that was pretty much pre-free agency. Same thing with the Oilers. That was pre-free agency. Now, you know, you have a bad year or two and you're gone and they're yeah. drafting your replacement. So there's a lot of impatience and so on. And, um, but if you have continuity, uh, which is the chiefs have for the most part, and boy, they made one, you know, what kind of trade last year, getting rid of Tyree kill, you know, all he did was go to Miami and be an all pro by the way. Okay. You know, I, that's another guy. the guys, the guys been in the league seven years, he's been in the pro bowl every year. Yeah, okay. I, I think that might change the Travis Kelsey top 100 circumstances for, for me. What he oh. was able to do without Tyree Kill. Because I said, when that list was made, I imagine that was prior to the to right. Tyree Kill. Well, no, yeah, no, listen, that the 100 list was made during the 100th season. Mm. Okay. That was on, now we're already getting ready for season 104. Okay, so that he's on the, is he's on of, the list. He's on yeah, the list. It, it, yeah. I think yeah, I think he's on the I list. Think, I mean, yeah. what's it? Seven straight one thousand yard seasons and so on. Um, yeah. he, he's a he, listen, he's an amazing player. Okay, I hear more. I hear less about Travis Kelsey being the top one hundred player and more the Gronk Kelsey comparison than I do anything else. Okay, but again, they're again those are two different players. Kellen Winslow was a different player. Um, Tony Gonzalez was a different player. Than those guys, you know, it, it, you look at you look at Rob Gronkowski. It's a combination of Kellen Winslow and and Mark Bavaro, okay. And Mark Bavaro is one tough, you know what, you know, mm. you know those Ditkid guys, those you know guys who who ran over you. I mean, you don't see a lot of guys now with those kind of hands, that kind of quickness, and the ability to just knock you down whenever they feel like it. So. Yeah, I mean, I may have been a little drunk, but he was the biggest dude I think I've ever seen in my life, Gronkowski. Yeah, he's. he's uh, I saw him at a bar you, in Austin, and he, he was, was just also like probably pretty drunk. But yeah. Oh yeah, he was. <laughs> he, he he had a, he had a few he had a few brewskis to say. We saw him sober too, though. We saw him radio row. We did, yeah. I mean, but I'm saying I, he was still he. I think he had just retired when I saw him in Austin, and he was just partying and having a good time and doing his thing. And he was huge, man. He was like one yeah. of the just like just wide and tall, biggest guys I, I'd, I'd ever seen in my entire life. It was it's pretty crazy, and it's, it makes complete sense that he a was again like the sixth offensive lineman, and, and b when he was receiving, just absolutely bulldozing dudes. Um, yeah, and, and the thing about him too was when you see a guy that big, um, you would think, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how he has all those touchdowns. He's a red zone guy. He wasn't a red zone guy. He mm. was an all over the field guy. Okay. Yeah. There are some guys who are that big, good blocking tight ends. They have a pretty respectable amount of touchdowns, and a lot of them are for one yards and two yards out. That wasn't Rob Gronkowski. He could be in a lot of different ways, um, you know, cradling the ball up high, you know, take your pick. You know, he had that er the early touchdown in uh, the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. And so on, where, you know, he just outflanked the guy and it caught the ball to the out. Again, it's. Other than the, the goofy play at Miami, which again, he was, you know, probably put in a bad position than anything else. I can't ever remember him even dropping a football, especially in a, in fact, I always talk about the year that Denver last went to the Super Bowl guys and they beat New England in the AFC title game. Um, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski connected on a fourth down pass, if I remember right, 
that was one of the biggest clutch plays I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And and New England wound up losing the game. I think I think they, they scored a touchdown and I think they lost like 20 to 18 and didn't get the two-point conversion. But as far as clutch, that, I mean, Rob Gronkowski was, you know, he, he, I'll, I'll put it this way. You said he was the biggest human being you ever saw. That's going to be quite the bust that somebody's going to have to carve. <laughs> yeah. We might just do a full body for him. They should do yeah. like a mini full body, like Hulk yeah. type thing for him. Um, I'm really excited for this answer, man. We always ask all our guests this. It could be from you playing anything, watching anything your entire life. What is your favorite sports memory ever? Oh boy. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a great question. You know, because you know, I would, I, I was around during the first Olympics um, so um let me think <laughs> how, how was how was us then how was yeah. it <laughs> it's all greek to me I, yeah. I, 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 I my favorite sports memory you know maybe the first time i ever went to a super bowl because i couldn't believe i was there mm-hmm. and that was super bowl 25 you know i had just started freelancing uh for espn and so on and all of a sudden i'm on a plane i'm in, in tampa um but I will say this, I felt that way every time I went to the Super Bowl. It was almost like pinching myself. Like um, It was very important to my mother and father, especially my mother, that I found something in life that I enjoyed. Okay? So every time I went to the Super Bowl, I'm like, am I really here? Hmm. And I've, I wound up being going to 23 Super Bowls. Wow. And I'm like, you know, one, for, one way or the other. Not always the game, because when you did – um, when you did ESPN and we did primetime, we'd see some of the, the first half of the game and then we'd have to head down to the production trucks um, for primetime because as soon as the, the uh, network that was doing the game, be it NBC or whatever, went off the air, we went immediately on the air and Chris and Tommy did the highlights and all that stuff. Um, so that, that, that would have to be one of them. It's a great question. Maybe I'll do a top 10. No, I don't think not. <laughs> No, yeah, that, that would be that that, right that about would, it. That would be just kind of a, but you know, being at 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 a, at a live event like that and be like actually being and and Super Bowl twenty five by the way was Whitney Houston. Um, oh. I was up in the press box for that. Um, you know that was uh, the war. I remember getting to the stadium with with ESPN. They took it, we got out of the car with the wand. Went through the car, different things like you know. All security was very very high. Obviously. Um, the game itself was amazing. And now I look back guys and I think, well, I worked with Bill Parcells at ESPN for a couple of years. Mm. Um, And I worked with Jim Kelly at ESPN for a couple of years. And all those players that I worked with Sterling Sharp and Tom Jackson and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and, um, and all those guys and all those guys played in Steve Young. They only played in Super Bowls, but now, when I go to the Hall of Fame, like I said, I've been going pretty regularly for 35 years. Um, they're in the Hall of Fame. Derek Brooks, Aeneas Williams. Um, there's so many fun stories that I wound up crossing paths with these players. And um, uh, my best friend said to me once, um, people like you is because you respect the game. And that meant a lot to me. I'm not into hot takes. If I wanted hot takes, I'd go to mcdonald's okay <laughs> um i'm not into that. honestly a good call it's the hottest fast food there is there the fries, the fries come out piping hot but I, I you know to me it's about i i i have this motto of mine 
Everyone is right, but not everyone is accurate. And I'm more interested in being accurate than I am right. So, and that was my job at ESPN. My job at ESPN was to make sure Tommy and Boomer and anybody else I worked with was accurate. Okay. So that's why when I gave them stuff, it was double checked and triple checked. So, because as I, and it's just going to be a weird thing to say in the, all the years I did television, I was never wrong. Okay. Because if I gave Chris or Tommy a wrong stat, who was going to get the heat for it? Did you hear what Chris Berman just said? That's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. Yeah, you get protective almost. Well, well, because they trust me. And they trusted me enough to give them the right stuff. And they knew I wouldn't give them anything unless I double-checked it. And I think everybody who does what I did – in fact, I had a young researcher I was training – on the, on the thing of primetime once and he was in sitting next to me off off camera and Chris asked a question and Dave quickly looked it up in the media guide and he wrote on a card and he took two steps toward the, the set and he came back and double checked it. And I, I thought that was, that made me very proud. Yeah, he wasn't hundred I mean, percent sure in his mind that the only person who was going to be wrong was the person who read it on the air. Think about it, okay? Sure, that's, and that's a big responsibility. And that you know, I took that very, very seriously as far as um, what my job was and so on. So yeah, we we just saw the exact same same thing happen in baseball. What, what was the team that that uh, suspended their commentator for? Like reading a stat that was like anti their team, right? Right. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. 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 Yeah, And now, and now, the critics are everywhere. Right. You know, the critics have a phone. The critics have Twitter. The critics have Instagram. We didn't have all that stuff back then. We had a you know, executive producer say, "How did that get on the air?" (laughs) Yeah, we call them the haters and the trolls. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Listen, listen, there's a faction of people out there who are dying for you to screw up because they want, they want you to, um, you know, look bad and all that stuff. And I know more than you do, and yada yada yada. And most of them don't even have pictures on their abbeys, but that's a whole different story, (laughs) and so on. But um, I took that very, very seriously. Okay, and you know, Chris and Tommy put. In fact, we used to kid one day. I remember Steve Young was walking by, and he said, "When was the last time?" The Lions went three and zero or something like that. I went nineteen fifty four, and he said, "Really?" I said, "No, but you believe me." <laughs> and that was not done to be more smiley. I was making a point. Actually, palm of the hand. I'll tell you, real, I'll tell you a very <laughs> funny story, and I can't. I can't name the, I won't name the coach. Maybe one day I will. I was in the room one day and Sterling Sharp was working with us and Washington had just gone five and zero after going zero and five. And Sterling said, Russell, I read that was the first time it happened. Now, when somebody read something from something else, I always double checked it. Okay. I used to put these research packets together and none of it included stats from anybody else. Because if there's something wrong in there, I have no way to verify it. If it's my mistake, I can correct it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I went to check it. And a coach, a former NFL coach, was in the room and said, didn't the 1992 Chargers lose their first five games and win their last 11 and win the AFC West? I said, no. 
They went 0-4, won 11 of the last 12, and they're the only 0-4 team to reach the playoffs in NFL history. And he looked at me and said, no, I think you're wrong. And I bolted out the room to get a Chargers media guy because I wanted to show him because I knew I was right. Okay. And I heard Tom Jackson turn to him and say, I won't say just kind of like, uh. <laughs> and Tommy and I have a great relationship and Tommy trusted me implicitly. And sure enough, when somebody does something for the only time in NFL history, you're going to remember it. So yes. I showed the coach. Well, I don't know if we are, wrong. but you, you are Russell. Well, I think that's no, very, no, very no, clear. I get it. You for yeah. sure. DJ but here it is in print. Oh, and four, 11 to 12, 11 to five. You know what he said to me? That's a typo. Oh man. I said, okay, <laughs> I can't help you now. So <laughs> hilarious. Uh, he knew Russell. he, he knew he'd been done and so on, but, but that's the kind of thing that you could never allow get on the air. Yeah. Unless it was double checked, because if he went on and said the Chargers were the last one, he, he'd have egg on his face. Yeah. Right. You know, I remember one year we did a playoff scenario and it was completely wrong and I wouldn't sign off on it. And they ran it anyway. And the next day, one of the higher ups at ESPN called us out. And so on. I said, I tried. I told them not to go with it. And somebody tried to throw me under the bus. Well, I'm a big guy. I don't fit under many buses. Okay. <laughs> and I said, you're wrong. You're, you're not telling the truth here. I told you not to do this and you did it anyway. And at those times, that's when SportsCenter ran over and over and over. And oh, later no. that night on Monday Night Football, someone called us out. Jesus. Contrary to what you might have heard this morning, the blah, blah, blah did not make the playoffs last night. Okay. All right. I gave it my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, we'll have to have you back at some point during the season. Oh, sure. absolutely. See, this, this is sports talk. Yeah, we not try. Not my high horse or anything like this. This is not yelling and screaming and I know more than you and you know more than me. This is sharing memories. It's having fun. Um, a few but eye rolls, but that's okay. You, you, <laughs> do know more, no, you, you do know more than us. And I we're, no. happy to, we're happy to learn. No, this is... That we love the game. We have the same appreciation right. for the game that you have, and that's Addictive. why we love hearing about these these stories. And I think well, I I, I was I, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how lucky I was, and still am to the you know the, the, to meet these men and work with these men and learn from these men. Hmm. I've told people many times. One year we worked the draft with Jimmy Johnson. Oh um, wow! One that's time, cool. I sat in that room and just listened he was because he's the one who came up with the draft chart he told the story of we did that we did the first we didn't know what the hell we were doing blah 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 so we came up with the draft chart i had my staff go back and look at every trade in nfl history they came up with the draft chart and i remember saying to him uh you know i, I know everybody likes to talk to you coach about the um, 1990 and the herschel walk trade and all your picks you got that i said but how the hell did you get a first round pick for steve walsh and Mel Kemper came up to me after me. He says, Jimmy likes you. So, and I, it's a, because it was that 1991 draft, go back and look at that. Mm -hmm. What it yeah. was in Maryland and some of the other guys and some guy, whether you, you agreed with the decision or not, some guy in the 12th round named Larry Brown, who turned out mm -hmm. to be a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy, I, I contend Jimmy, as good a coach he was, I contend Jimmy was a better evaluator of talent 
than he even was a head coach. And that's a heck of a statement. I mean, the Herschel Walker trade is crazy. Yes. But it's what he turned it into. Yeah. Must about getting rid of the player and so on and what he did for that team. And it's too bad things didn't work out with him and Jerry. That could have been who knows. I mean, the the, the Ricky Williams deal with the Redskins, right? Like that didn't turn into Super Bowls, like the Cowboys deal with the Vikings and Herschel Walker. No, I mean Mike Ditka gave up this whole draft to get Ricky Williams, and you know it's some of these, it, some of these work out, and some of them don't. But you've got, you know, what, the years I did the NFL draft, to me it was more about the guy who was doing the drafting than actually the player who got drafted. If that makes sense, because mm-hmm. this is an art form for some of these guys, and I was lucky uh, enough. When we had the 1995 expansion draft in Carolina and Jacksonville, they held the, the, the expansion draft in New York. And we worked with Bill Walsh on that expansion draft. Learning experience? My goodness. Crazy. You know? Um, you That's know, Tom Donahoe worked with Tom Donahoe, worked with uh, Bill Parcells, pretty good guy with an eye for talent and so on. Um, like I said, Jimmy Johnson, uh, you know, th- th- these GMs, there is certainly a art form to knowing players, you know, and that's why you see these Ron Wolfs and these Bobby Bethards and these guys that Bill Poley and all getting into the Hall of Fame now because um, of what they were able to do. And they weren't guys with playing backgrounds and stuff. They just knew the game and understood the game and the value of the draft. Yeah. I mean, the draft is everything. You win and you lose in the draft. That's how you, that's how you make teams. Free agency is great, but. We always stand by the dropping the most important piece. Well, when I was uh, when I was just a couple of years out of high school, um, I discovered the NFL draft on ESPN on a Tuesday morning in 1982. Um, and then I was not in the industry then, um, but I somehow caught a virus every Monday night, the night before the NFL draft. And for three or four years of my job, I got sick the same night. And uh, put on a performance and called out sick Tuesday morning just just to watch the NFL draft. You have to watch out for those type of illnesses that hit right. you. And, 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 I, I had, yeah. and I had the same thing all the time. I'm like, yeah. I would talk to people. I said, oh, God. And they would say to me, literally, they'd set me up. They literally said, well, listen, if you don't feel good, don't come in tomorrow. I said, I don't know. Don't worry. I'll be here. Um, and, of course, I didn't. So I could watch the NFL draft. And years later, in 1991, I'm working the draft for ESPN. Now, if that's not Forrest Gump, I don't know what is. That is the officially Forrest Gump. Yeah. Life's, a, life's a box of chocolates, baby. Russell, thank you so much. We'll see you back during the season, talk some more football, more history. Appreciate you imparting the knowledge uh, and giving my boy Rob Gronkowski a generous amount of love throughout the show. Fans out there, drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, hit your free throws because they're free. Fisher DeSablo's DJ, Nikki Snacks, Kreider, Russell Baxter, NFL historian and writer. Thank you again. We'll see you guys next time.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.